0: Even though I went through this roller coaster of emotions through all of this, I think knowing that he supported me and everything that I felt, no matter what, and that we did not judge each other for how we experienced the journey, was really what kept me going. It was, you know, I knew he was sad. He would tell me he was sad, but he had this faith of, you know, I don't know what our future family will look like. Maybe we'll have kids, maybe we won't. But I know I love you. I know we'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, and it like makes my eyes water a little bit thinking about it because all I wanted was to be a mom. You know, I just, it was just this part of me that felt incomplete, you know, when I couldn't get pregnant. And letting myself feel everything that I need to feel. But having him remind me that even though, yes, he was sad too, yes, he had this vision for what our family would look like, but him reminding me and us actually getting to re-explore our relationship and our marriage for what it was and how it was not defined by us being parents was really remarkable. Hello and
1: hola, friends. Medevolve can give you insights into your practice's financial performance and outcomes like never before. Get answers to important revenue questions such as, where am I losing money and why? What is the value of my AR? When will I get paid? How many claims have not been worked? When you start to think about the level of transparency you have into how your AR is being worked, that's directly proportional to your net revenue and keeping a healthy balance sheet. The right analytics solution will tell a story that's easy to understand. Medevolve Power Analytics gives you the answers that allow you to take action. Start making healthcare business decisions based on data. Learn how we're helping physician practices reduce their cost to collect and increase efficiency with data-driven technology. To have this great company help you work smarter, reduce your cost to collect and get paid on time. Find them at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash Medieval. The link is also in the description of this show. And before we get into the show, I want to briefly mention to you, my friends, that I have super exciting news over here at Medicine, Marriage & Money. I will soon be launching a women in medicine group coaching program where we will take our relationships to the next level. If this sounds like something you may be interested in, stick around and I will tell you more. I will tell you how to get on the wait list to reserve your spots as seats will be limited. This is going to be revolutionary for all relationships. I promise there will be no looking back. I absolutely cannot wait for the official launch where we can start working together on personalized relationship goals, unconditional love, support, self-compassion, all of those things. Thank you so much, my friends. And let's welcome our guest on today's show. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Kate Hopping. Dr. Kate is a board-certified internist and life coach specializing in fertility. She is a dear friend of mine and has been my amazing accountability partner and classmate at the Life Coach School. She is a loving and supportive wife to a police officer and the mother of two strong little boys. She is here today to share her knowledge and her five-year-long journey of fertility with us.
0: Welcome Dr. Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Okay. So before we get started
1: on your fertility journey and you a little bit about more, you and your husband, tell us, I ask all my guests this question. So tell us your definition of marital, interdependence. In other words, what is a successful marriage? Cuz I cuz I term that marital interdependence.
0: I love it. I think there's so many things, of course, but for us, one of the big things has been about loving each other's differences and really respecting them to the point of not wanting to change the other person. And after being together for almost 20 years, we have had to explore a lot of our own growth as individuals, plus our growth together as a couple. And I think through that, we've learned through the way that we change kind of at our own pace, and but the other person does not get to dictate what that looks like. And really respecting that to your core has been instrumental in our marriage
1: beautiful i love it
0: and tell, tell us a little bit about you too then so like who are
1: you where are you from what do you do
0: um so i am a hospitalist just outside of chicago my husband and i grew up here so we actually met when we were in high school and i did not go to medical school right away. So through, I graduated college early to save money. So I kind of put as many classes as I could together so I could start working right away. And then I worked for a few years in healthcare actually. And when I was doing that, so I had two jobs right out of college. I worked in research, And I worked for this amazing woman who was one of my mentors when I started out, and it was working with pediatrics and stem cell transplant patients. And then I also worked in child psychiatry at our children's hospital. And so I was like a milieu therapist is what we called ourselves. And so I did those two jobs, just kind of randomly threw myself into the medical field. And then I had my bosses and this woman who was in the research side said, you know, have you ever thought about medicine? (laughs) And so that was kind of the way that I started my journey to get to into medical school. I did my post back while I was working, finished my prereqs, well, and then I was also waitressing. So I had three jobs as I was doing all of that <laughs> to live in Chicago. <laughs> And then that's how I ended up in medical school. Uh, It was kind of through that. So it was about two and a half years before I went back to school. And through all of that, Dan is my husband, who we really have been in each other's lives forever. You know, I mean, more than half of my life, he has been my best friend. And so a lot of my story is him, truly.
1: Wow. Well, I'm so glad you're here to share with us today because you mentioned you guys knew each other in high school. You guys go to the
0: same high school? Yes. So no. So we met our junior year of high school and it was a big school. So we, our high school was about 4,000 people. So you definitely did not know everybody. And one I had, I was taking Latin junior year. And after the first class, I was like, I do not like this at all. (laughs) I thought it would help me for SATs. So that's why I signed up for it but I was like, I don't like this. And so one day I ditched and I went to where we had free period and it was like kind of connected to the cafeteria. So the way our, our free periods worked when you were uh, juniors and seniors and there was this guy there who turned out to be Dan and he was across the way. And he, we had a mutual friend who we didn't realize. So we all kind of sat in the same circle and I was like, he is so cute. Like who is this guy? And so then the next day I was like, I think I'm gonna ditch Latin again and <laughs> and like go back to free period and maybe learn a little bit more about him and like asked a little bit more. And so for a week I ditched class so I could like see what he was all about. And then I went to my parents and was like, you know, I just don't like Latin, I think I'm gonna drop it. And then I dropped out. And so we had the whole semester of this free period together. Turns out it was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so, it, so did you
1: fall in love with him at that point or what ha- what happened
0: so we started talking more and it was you know in high school it's more of like this infatuation i think of like somebody who you have this physical attraction with but also we really connected we were both athletes we had a very similar sense of humor and I don't know, there was like this almost like unspoken pull, this gravitation we had towards each other. And it's really hard for me to explain. I always think about him in the sense of like of my soulmate, truly. Like no matter what we went through in our lives, we kept getting pulled back to each other. And I know it's a choice. And like, logically, I know like we kept choosing each other, but it did feel like there was this deeper spiritual connection that we had that just kept bringing us together. So I guess that's my long winded way of saying, you know, I don't think that it was necessarily this love at first sight, so to speak, because I was a kid. I didn't really know what love meant. But when I look back at it, I think that there was this development of love that was happening immediately when we met each other. And it just grew, you know, and we kept choosing each other and we kept choosing to love each other. And it, it just turned into something really beautiful.
1: Wow. Okay. So then what did that look like during college and
0: medical school? So we went to colleges in different States. We made the decision to, you know, even though we had, you know, we fell in love, I would say like within the year. You know, we were like, we love each other. We started talking about what our families could look like and what our life would look like. But we also made the decision and said, we're not going to go to school together just to go to school together. We're going to explore and figure out what we want to do next with our lives and we're going to respect that. So I went to school in Colorado and he was in Iowa. And We did long distance and I mean, we were, again, kids, college kids didn't have any money. So it wasn't like we could travel and visit each other. So we would talk and this is before like Zoom and iPhones. (laughs) So it was a lot of like just the dialing, talking to each other on the phone and a lot of obstacles in a sense, you know, being emotionally immature, I think at the time of kind of understanding what does this look like for a relationship, having these barriers of not being able to see each other and then coming home for holiday break, you know, we would be together as much as we could. And we did that for a couple years, but it was very stressful. It was definitely not peaceful (laughs) going through it and feeling heartbroken at times. Like, I love this person. I want to be with them. They're not here. Who are they hanging out with? Some insecurities kind of creeped in. And so we actually broke up quite a few times in there. A lot of on again, off again. I feel I feel like you hear about a lot of people doing. So we had a lot of on again, off again, and ended up taking like a, a big pause is what I call it. When we, it was the end of college, And before I went to medical school, we kept talking intermittently, but we were not dating for about two years, kind of in the middle of college to med school. And then through, even though we kept talking to each other, when I would come home, I came home, like one of my breaks in med school, we just said, let's just see each other. I like, I miss you. I mean, it was just that you are a piece of me, kind of like we just... We missed each other so much. And it wasn't about saying we're going to date again. It was just about saying we miss each other. We want to be in each other's lives, no matter what that looks like. So we decided to kind of get a meal together and reconnected. I think that moment that we reconnected was kind of it for us. We, I I know I told you this story before, but when we did it, when we were like, okay, let's get together and have dinner. We decided to do it grandma-grandpa style and go at like 4.30 so it would be quote-unquote safe for us, you know, that we wouldn't be too emotionally invested. It was just a friendly dinner. And we ended up talking all night. We went, we got dinner, then we went to a bar that was just open so we could have somewhere to be, right? Because we like live with our parents, like we're still (laughs) young. (laughs) And so, so we had somewhere to be. And then all of a sudden we like blink and it's five in the morning. Oh my gosh. So it's like 12 hours. Yeah. Of just talking and realizing that the love that we had for each other was more than our circumstances were which was we didn't live in the same place we were at different stages of our lives he had started working at this point i was still in school and just recognizing that none of that really mattered we wanted to choose each other
1: wow that is so special and that at, at that point it had been like how many years you had known each other for like what eight years
0: so let's see yeah so it was it was probably like seven Seven, eight years at that point. Yep.
1: So then when you went back, you know, back to school. This was on a holiday break, right? So then you went back to school and he went back to work, you guys just kept in close contact with each other.
0: Yes. And we kind of left it open-ended of that like we are not defining what we are, but we were also not dating anybody else. And then when it came time to do rotations, so you know, third and fourth year, I would I just started to fly back whenever I could. I used some of my loan money to fly back a little bit more. And for when we got to choose where we did our rotations, I picked only Chicago places. And so I was able to do almost the entire fourth year in Chicago.
1: Wow. You were allowed to do a whole year away?
0: Yeah. We had a couple months that were still required that we had to go back, but it would be like one month here, two months there, one month here. So a majority of my fourth year. I think it was maybe ended up being six months, maybe seven was back in Chicago doing rotations at all the Chicago hospitals as kind of like my sub eyes, you know, like trying to figure out where I wanted to do my residency. Okay. Yeah. And and so what did Dan think
1: about all that? Of course he loved it. He got to see you all the time whereas as long as you weren't in the hospital.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. And then tell us, okay, so I know, you know, you are a fertility coach. And this is one of your main passions. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the obstacles you've had to overcome when it comes to your fertility journey.
0: Sure. So, just a little background of it is Dan and I. We tried to get pregnant pretty much as soon as we got married because we knew we wanted kids. We were when we got married. It was mostly just a convenience date because it was out of residency. Yeah. So we we did that so we could take like a long honeymoon in between residency to job. So it was really picking the date based off of nothing to do with when or when we didn't want to have kids. We knew we wanted to have kids right away. And I just thought, okay, I want to do it when I'm done with residency. That felt like the right time to me. And so we did not get pregnant for a year and started to see a fertility specialist because of that. And then we found a couple things through our doctors and our workup and ultimately ended up doing fertility treatments over several years. And now we have our two boys because of those treatments. And I ended up going through like several rounds of IVF. And... I don't call them like failed rounds. I call them just rounds where we learned something to then kind of move forward and figure out what we needed to do next. But of course, there was an emotional road for several years in there. So that's just kind of the background of how we got there. But I think ultimately when it started, one of the biggest obstacles for me was my relationship with medicine and my career and learning how to not be angry at it. You know, because I felt like I had made this decision of when to have kids based off of my career and, and kind of considering postponing, you know, it wasn't about finding the right guy or being married or when I felt ready, you know, just based off of these other things in my life, it was purely because I thought this is how you're supposed to do it in medicine. And I had a lot of thoughts about that. And so I had to kind of forgive medicine and realize that it was not, you know, medical school or residency or this career choice that led me here, that that was just kind of part of my story. And so that was one of the big obstacles because I loved medicine yet I had this like love hate relationship with it because I wanted to be a mom and I felt like that created this big obstacle for me.
1: Wow. So like just like forgiving a person you had to actually forgive a like part of your life, like a life goal. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think it's a very interesting thing as I've gotten into the fertility and life coach world. Discovering how this is something that a lot of women physicians struggle with. Not everyone, right? We all have our different stories and different relationships. But I think that it is something that, you know, biologically we are spending a certain portion of our life in training. And it's not an open discussion. You know, we don't go through med school and have people say, like, oh, what are your family plans? You know, and we don't get into residency and have, you know, other women talking to us and saying, hey, do you want to have a kid? Are you, you know, are you worried about what that means for your career? (laughs) You know, none of these conversations happen. And so I think a lot of times in medicine or other professional careers where people are choosing when to start their family that this can come up for a lot of people. And it's one of the reasons that I got really interested in doing this work and writing some of my pieces that have been on, you know, Kevin MD now, because I said, I want to get this message out to other women physicians specifically, because we're not alone, right? You know, this is something that a lot of us go through. We're actually even, you know, there was an article that was published about how instead of it being like one in eight of the general public, a lot of times in medicine, it's closer to one in four who experience infertility. Oh, one in four. I said, okay, got
1: it. Yeah. That's, that's really high. And when you said, yeah, when you said we don't have those conversations in medicine, what are your family plans? Do you want kids? I think sometimes it's like, we don't have those conversations in a loving way or when they happen, like when you're on the interview trail and somebody asks you, how many kids do you plan to have? Which happened to me when I was interviewing for a fellowship. It's like, we take it the opposite way. We take it as like they're trying to determine whether a good – like if you're planning to have five kids, well, they don't – oh, no, no, not, no, I didn't have it on the fellowship trail. I had it when I was trying applying for jobs, right, because somebody might not want to hire you if you want four kids, right, and are going to need four maternity leaves or whatever. They may think you're not dedicated. But, yeah, that's right. It's like because how do we have those conversations when a lot of women, especially the dominant independent medical, you know, doctor women – We'll take those questions to mean kind of a negative. We'll have a little bit of animosity towards the people who ask those types of questions.
0: Yes. And I think that it's important to note that we're not making this up, right? There are stories that we have heard of, you know, maybe not getting jobs or not getting a promotion, you know, because of the leave that you might take, which for Men might not be part of their story. You know, they take maybe two weeks. I mean, my husband took twelve weeks. So, you know, but yes, so, but I think that it's important to note that that there is a part of our reality that these conversations do have, you know, there is this kind of negative uh, connection, I guess, to say with it. And I think it's important to say, yes, like this is the world we live in. So, We just need to know that we are still in charge of our life and our choices, and we get to accept what the risks are, you know, just like we do with any medical procedure. Right. And I think that that's where the conversations need to be had. You know, we can't change the culture of medicine and women in medicine and having children and FMLA and all of these different things. We can't change that necessarily overnight. But what we can do is support each other and making sure that women do understand that they have options and that women in medicine, we're everywhere. You know, so we can start creating change if we at least acknowledge that this is an obstacle for us. And I think for me it was more even just not even realizing that infertility could come up. You know, I I didn't even know to ask the questions. And then same as you, you know, when I started doing job interviews, I remember my mom telling me to ask about maternity leave. And my first thought was, I can't do that. They don't want to hire someone who's going to be gone for 3 months. And It was so interesting thinking about how that was my association. Like nobody's going to want to hire somebody who's then going to be gone. But I mean, this is our life. Like who else is going to have the babies? (laughs) Like we, yeah. Like what, where are they going to come from? How will we populate? You know, it's just, it was so interesting. You are not less than because you're choosing to do something else for yourself. Whatever that looks like, you know, my My worth as a physician is not connected with how many days off I had because of a personal leave or a medical leave over the span of however long I'm a doctor, you know?
1: And then, okay, let's talk a little about Dan too. Like how did this fertility journey affect him or your relationship with him? Because I know, you know, for myself and not getting pregnant the first seven times we tried was super depressing and sad to me, but I know it affected Victor a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. I think it's very interesting when we are on these journeys of talking to each other about what it means to us and also knowing that we don't have to be in exactly the same place. So there were periods of our journey where I feel like when we would talk about it i could be in a place i mean even just month one i was heartbroken you know let alone you know what the future held for me <laughs> but dan always came from a place of saying i'm not worried like he had this different approach you know when and i would ask him like how are you feeling are you okay you know i know this is impacting you too and this is what brings me back to like our original like the first question you had it's knowing that he did not have to feel the same way as me he did not have to feel this degree of being heartbroken or or sad or anything you know he was allowed to have his own feelings and then he did not minimize mine you know and so at first you know when he says it's okay everything's going to be fine you know i know we'll be okay there was that part of me at first that said, why aren't you feeling the same way as me? You know, aren't, aren't we in this together? Aren't you supposed to feel this way too? And letting those kind of thoughts creep in a little bit and saying, okay, I respect that those are there, but then very quickly being able to recognize that he's allowed to have his, his own journey through this and not letting that create, you know, Animosity towards each other because I think so easily it can is where you can say why aren't you feeling like me why don't you feel as bad why don't you feel this why is it all on me you know a lot of this comes up for us as women like is it my fault there's this blame factor and and kind of even though I went through this roller coaster of emotions through all this I think knowing that. He supported me and everything that I felt no matter what, and that we did not judge each other for how we experienced the journey was really what kept me going. It was, you know, I knew he was sad. He would tell me he was sad, but he had this faith of, you know, I don't know what our future family will look like. Maybe we'll have kids. Maybe we won't. But I know I love you. I know we'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, and it like makes my eyes water a little bit (laughs) thinking about it because all I wanted was to be a mom. You know, I just, it was just this part of me that felt incomplete, you know, when I couldn't get pregnant and letting myself feel everything that I need to feel, but having him remind me that even though, yes, he was sad too. Yes. He had this vision for what our family would look like, but him reminding me and us actually getting to re-explore our relationship and our marriage for what it was and how it was not defined by us being parents was really remarkable.
1: That is an, oh my gosh, that is an amazing way to look at it. You definitely almost made me cry. just. Wow. <laughs>
0: I know it's like, it was a lot of years ago, but it makes me, I mean, it's still so deep. You know, I still have, I still have pain from it. I still have this trauma um, that I'm always processing and I'm seeing how it shows up in different ways in my life sometimes. But I think that when we went through it together, the fact that we could respect without judgment for how we each were experiencing it really led us to this place of, okay, like we will be okay. Okay. I mean, it was just, it's very powerful to think about. And it comes up all the time, even now, right? With COVID and other obstacles that will you know, will come across as we just get to look at each other and be like, we have each other and it'll be okay.
1: And, and then, yeah, you, you bring up the COVID. So during this pandemic time, what has that been like to, and I know you coach women on fertility now to have babies during this time or to want to get pregnant during this time, like. How, how, do people, how are we thinking about that? How, how should we think about that?
0: I think the biggest thing is that there's no one right way to think about it, really. So as somebody who was pregnant when COVID hit and processing a lot of like that trauma I was talking about, there was a lot of fear of being a hospitalist and COVID and what did that mean for pregnant women and a lot of fear associated with that. And kind of thinking about everything that I had, quote unquote, gone through to get pregnant. And I think that going through that, it just reminded me a lot about how we will always come across things. There will always be decisions. And there's no manual for people saying this is how you're supposed to choose. It wasn't like there was a che- you know this checklist of people saying this is how you're supposed to feel. This is how you're supposed to think. This is what you're supposed to do next. I think just realizing that we need to be kind to ourselves about how we navigate this was was really major, you know, like I I felt completely different than another woman who was pregnant or went through infertility. I mean, we all have our own journey and I think that it's important to not let our circumstances define our story and making choices that feel right for us and and getting the right kind of support as you go through it. You know, whether that's of course we talk about coaching because this is what we're doing now, but I think whether it's coaching or therapy or the people that you bring into your kind of like close-knit circle who you can talk to about these things, um, just making sure that we're really honest with ourselves about what's important and what we want to do and our fears and addressing those fears because we are in new times, you know?
1: When you're seeing COVID patients, I mean, you, I know we offline about this. I mean, you, you see multiple patients a day that actually have diagnosed COVID.
0: Yeah. And I, and you know, I made some decisions for myself when I was pregnant and we didn't know much about COVID and there were PPE concerns all over the country. And I got honest with myself and my fears. And again, this was this like cognitive dissonance, right? Of like, but I'm a doctor, but I'm pregnant. I'm a mom, but I'm a doctor, but I'm pregnant. I'm a mom. I mean, back and forth. And ultimately talking with Dan and this again comes back to this kind of, you know, he had his own thoughts about COVID and what that meant and, you know, advice for what I maybe should or shouldn't do. But kind of sitting down together and saying, okay, here are, are the facts. I'm pregnant. It's a pandemic. We don't know what this means yet. There's a little information coming back about risk for pregnant women. And Here's my fear about what that means for my career. Here's this my fear about what that means for the baby. And just approaching it from a place of compassion of saying, I'm going to make some choices here. And I'm going to figure out what the best thing is for me. And I'm going to have my own back about it. And so I, I went to my my company and I said, you know, this is what I'm feeling. I'm really split over it, you know, but I'm I'm afraid right now. And I don't have to feel guilty about that. Like, I'm allowed to feel these things. And I requested to kind of modify my position and, and do help the company in a different way. And I started working remotely for the last trimester of my pregnancy. And I think that that was the right answer for me. It's not the right answer for everybody, but being able to allow myself to go there was really important. And having to support support without judgment. You know, because he had a lot of thoughts about what I should and shouldn't do. You know, but it hit. But the choice was mine, and we were able to discuss it respectfully without judgment, with compassion for each other, and figuring out what was the right decision for our family. So I think the big thing for women right now as they're navigating this is just about pick your people, you know, and really listening to yourself and having compassion for yourself as you make choices because the right one is the right one for you. You know, it's not about what somebody else would or wouldn't do.
1: And you can only make that decision based off what we know. Like you said, you know, we only knew so much. We know much more now, you know, that's now six months later or five months later, but, but we didn't know, and we still don't know everything. It's like the scientific method. We, we only know as much as we know right now. And that's why we keep doing more research, right?
0: Exactly. And so I think that's what it is, is that you just we get new information all of the time. And at the time when I made the decision, we had like random case studies. You know, there was a lot of this N is one kind of thing. And I had to, I just had to take the information that we had at hand and make the best choice for myself. And there's no, there's no saying that one choice is better than another. But I think it's just take the information we have and be kind to yourself as you you make choices for yourself. And that can be applied to everything in our lives, right? Like, and with marriage, we are a unit. We make decisions together, of course, but we also have to understand how we feel, you know, personally, you know, like I am still my own person. I still have to make my own choices and feel good about it. And figuring out how to navigate that with a partner and not create any resentment as we make choices, because we all have to make choices in. our families, you know, oh, where do we move? What job do we take? What does that look like? How does that impact the other person? You know, it comes up constantly. And making sure that we can find something that works for each other without it compromising the other person's, you know, beliefs or values. And let's
1: talk about um, making financial choices together.
0: How do you and Dan do that? So, I mean, we were together like I was saying when we had like a dollar to our name and so for us we we have shared money our whole lives I mean so when we were young and had nothing (laughs) it was you know it was just kind of like everything was shared it was just oh like I made 20 bucks babysitting, I'll buy the movies tonight, (laughs) you know, or vice versa. And so I think that that led us into this space of money, not really being something that we think about in like, what's mine, what's yours. It's always just been, um, you know, okay, we make money, put it in the bank. I mean, even before we got married, it was not, we didn't have separate accounts. Um, As soon as we started living together, you know, we did, I would say we did have our own separate accounts, but we merged everything very quickly and we didn't keep a tally. It wasn't like I paid for rent this month, you pay for the utilities. You know, it was just like, here's all of our money. Let's decide what we want to do with it. And it's interesting, especially now, because when I was in medical school, I was, (laughs) I had negative money and Dan was making money. He was in his career already. And now I'm making more money and as we're both working, but it's never, we've never looked at it that way. And we talk about big financial decisions. Um, but it's never it's never been a point of conflict. It's just money is a tool. We have our own thoughts about scarcity of money sometimes because of maybe what we how we grew up and loans and debt and all this stuff. I mean, we have some thoughts about it. But when it comes to our marriage and making choices, it's just tools. You know,
1: wow. So, you don't often fight, or you never have really had to fight about money.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because there are, of course, like some little things that will happen that we, you know, that we talk about and look, give each other the look, like, you bought that, (laughs) you know, like we'll have like a couple Amazon packages show up of, you know, something that Dan bought for his car or something. And I'm, you know, and I'll be like, huh, I don't get it. But it's not, it's more like comical. It's just like, Okay, I guess that's important to you, you know. But it's but yeah, it's never been something that we that we have argued about. It's just we don't always understand why one of us wants to buy something, but it's always been you're allowed, you know, like we are whatever is important to us is, you know, you should be able to do, even if we don't agree on what the definition of is of important is. I think that also comes from a place of we have always been very in sync about being financially responsible you know it's never been a discussion because we're never like discovering that somebody just spent you know whatever a lot is for other people it can be different things you know but even you know it's not like all of a sudden we discover thousands of dollars are missing or something it's just you know we've always been respectful we talk about you know, oh, there's something that I want to do for myself. I was going to do this. You know, it's a, an open conversation, but it's not, it's never been a should you or shouldn't you. It's just, okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay. So Kate,
1: now that we know about all that and you guys, you know, have your, that's, I mean, that's amazing. I think a lot of couples strive for that where they don't, um, where they don't have to argue. Like he can spend money on cars. You can spend money on coaching and everybody. Everybody's okay with it. So what's the smartest financial decision you have ever made in your life?
0: So I, I mean, I think IVF, you know, it was when we, yeah. And when we first saw the cost, it was besides our house you know, it was the biggest, and I guess my education, <laughs> that too, um, it was the biggest amount of money we had ever thought about spending on anything. Um, you know, we, when talking about money, it's so interesting, you know, thinking about it because we don't buy things really. We've never been, um, we've never bought a lot of things. We, we spend money on experiences. You know, we take um, vacations. That's really important to us to be able to have these life experiences with each other, with our families, now with our kids. Um, And so that's been probably up until IVF. That was what we spent the most money on. And which I also think are some of the best decisions we've ever made. Not because one trip was a huge amount of money, but in totality, like having Spending money on experiences to me is priceless. But I think for this, it was very intimidating because we were spending money on something with no guarantee of a result. When you spend money on a trip or on your education or on a house, you have a guarantee. You know, here, I'm writing a check. Now I can move into a house, you know, or here, I'm buying these plane tickets. I actually get to go on the plane and go somewhere. And for IVF, it was a leap of faith. And it was about saying, we're okay spending this money, even without a guaranteed result. And being able to navigate that together and being on the same page about it. And of course, we have this happy ending, I think, in the end, which, you know, then you look back and say, well, of course, it was okay to spend that money. You know, I have these two children. (laughs) But I think it's important just to note that at the time we spent the money before we had the kids, you know, we, we were deciding to do this and invest in something that was really important to us. And, and also with IVF. And I think that in the, you know, in the field of fertility awareness is that we also made some decisions about doing an extra IVF round to do embryo banking. And That is something that I think some women ask about, you know, with egg freezing and this family planning. You know, I'm a certain age. Should I spend this extra money to freeze my eggs or to freeze embryos? Because I am getting older and there are statistics associated with our age, of course. You know, we know that. So I think making that decision and saying we're okay, we want to spend this extra money because we are investing in really just in the possibility. And that to me is really special. And it's it's an interesting way to look at it when it's all retrospective, right? Because in the moment there's this, there's some fear factors that play into it. But I think now, you know, we, we pay for our embryos to be stored because we are investing in ourselves and in our future in a way that pretty magical that science has given us this opportunity to do that
1: that's amazing oh my gosh so you have some some embryo banking you chose to do that okay and this is the best financial decision you made is IVF and you know a lot of people really struggle with this right because they might definitely come from a scarcity mindset where they're like well I don't have enough money for this or there's just what if it doesn't work out but it's not guaranteed
0: yeah and i think that really is the biggest thing is that we have these thoughts about what is guaranteed in life you know okay i'm gonna pay to go to medical school i'm guaranteeing i'll become a doctor maybe i don't know you know i think that we do things we make financial decisions often because something feels like it's a guarantee or it's a home run and that is usually because i think of you know my thoughts of what society says about money you know money is to be used to get something and there's always this like give and take of it and i think you have to have a very different outlook on money when you're making decisions about something that's not a guarantee and being okay with that together you know and even if you decide we don't want to spend money on this you know that's okay too and just making sure that you have your own back, you support each other when you're making those decisions. But for us, I think just spending money on something that gave us this hope of our future and our future family was really everything. And I would sell our house, you know, and sell everything that we had if it meant that we could we could do this. And at the time we had to make a lot of decisions financially over if we're choosing to do this we have to make some changes about what else we're spending our money on. You know, we can't do everything that we normally would do or want to do because we're choosing to spend our money on this instead. And and just, I mean, I think it's really just that communication of talking about why we want to do certain things. If we say yes to one thing, what does that mean we're saying no to and being okay with that?
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I know that brings me back to like one of my most favorite phrases. You can afford anything. But not everything it sounds. Like you and Dan have that perfect balance where you kind of like t- talk to each other. Okay, yeah. What are we going to not spend our money
0: on? Yeah, like for a lot of years, we said we are going to choose to spend money on. You know, <laughs> I think like a, like a glass of wine, but that means that we are not going to choose a nice dinner. <laughs> You know, like we had, you know, when you're younger, you're like, hmm, okay, we can either. Yeah, which is funny because I actually don't, I never have, I never drink anymore. I was like, but you know, when we're in our 20s, we're like, hmm, okay, we have $20. So I think I'm going to say yes to this and no to this. And we're always choosing it. It's just on a different scale as we get, you know, the quote unquote real jobs. <laughs> yeah. And it being okay to that, what you choose to spend money on does not have to be the same as everybody else. You know, there's no comparison with that.
1: Yeah. We don't need to comp I was just going to say that not a comparison game. It's whatever is true to you and authentic to you. Right. Oh, that's so beautiful, Kate. Okay, well, is there anything else we missed? Anything else, any other take home points we didn't talk about for our listeners? That's okay if there's not, but anything about medicine, marriage, money? If not, you know, you can just tell us where we can
0: find you. Yeah, well, I think one thing is I would love to just say, because I know a lot of a lot of people are like dual physician couples. And I just would like to highlight the kind of the beauty around one person being in medicine too and the support that goes both ways you know there is a lot that Dan has had to step up and do because I am was in training or working you know 24-hour stretches or you know now working long shifts in COVID (laughs) you know I mean there's a lot that he has to step up and do for our family and I just want to highlight the beauty of that. And especially with a man doing that, it's really amazing for me to see. And it gives me a lot of hope for my two boys and for the culture of relationships and what I think these stereotypes that maybe we grew up having and how we can break those and the support that Dan has given me for my career and everything that I've done and how I then am always looking for how I can support him in return, you know, and making sure that he knows how much I appreciate it. And I think for families that have one, you know, one person in medicine, the other person doesn't always get it right. Like get the long shift or understand, you know, what we're doing all of the time. So I just, I think it's just really beautiful when we can, can highlight and thank these partners that are kind of walking through life with us and understanding what we're doing and and supporting us with, with just love and not that feeling of, oh, why? Like, why aren't you home? Or why aren't you doing this? And when it just comes from that place of love and respect, I just, I'm very grateful for all of the partners out there who, who do that and support us in what we do, and so yeah. But if anybody you know wants to find me, I'm my website is www.fertilityfound.com, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at fertility found. And I would just love to be a resource for women, um, whether you're looking for a coach or just a friend. Um, I really, I really love supporting women in whatever way that they need so they know that they are not along, uh, alone on their journey. Well,
1: thank you so much, Kate. I think I think people will def- after hearing this episode will definitely be, feel supported by you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much
1: for coming, Dr. Kate. Oh, yay. Such a great show with Dr. Kate Hapak. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MedEvolve. For those of us who know how hard it is to build and maintain a sustainable business, we understand that bringing the right solutions to achieve our goals is key. Go to www.drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash MedEvolve and get on the path to transparency, automation, and accountability in your revenue cycle. an amazing episode oh my gosh thank you so much dr kate for coming on my show as my dear friend and self-coaching partner thank you so much for your beautiful insights and now for the three big take-home points from dr kate Hoppick's message number one how do we create change in medicine especially when it comes to topics like maternity leave, breastfeeding, parental obligations, work-life integration, family. Well, Dr. Habak says it starts with small conversations and supporting our colleagues. I completely agree. Let us be the cheerleader for our fellow physicians. Let us build each other up. Let us check in on each other as often as we can. Let us not engage in conversations that focus on degrading each other as those rarely build anything constructive and definitely do not help our patients or healthcare in general. If it is one, if it is change we want, regardless if it is for our patients or for our staff or for our fellow colleagues, we can start by focusing on all the small things we can do each day. We don't have to be chair. We don't have to be department head. We don't have to go to all the meetings. We just have to have daily conversations, support one another, show compassion. Number two, our worth as physicians is not tied to how many hours we work each day or how many days we work each week, how many days we spend in the hospital or the clinic. We are all high achievers. So let's stop judging ourselves, stop shaming ourselves and start valuing each minute and each moment we do have that we care for our patients. And then every moment that we have at home to care for ourselves and for our families. Number three, when our spouse has different feelings from us about any life circumstance, And in particular, according to Dr. Kate Hoppock, fertility issues, this does not minimize our own feelings. The differences in feelings between our spouse and ours does not minimize our own and vice versa. It doesn't minimize theirs. We are each allowed to have our own thoughts about everything. We are each on our own journey. I distinctly remember the first year Victor and I were trying to get pregnant, and each time I got my cycle, I would cry. I, I honestly didn't understand how he didn't how, how he was experiencing the pain and the sadness so differently, or I don't even know, you know, how how he was really experiencing which emotions and which feelings he was experiencing. He just wasn't showing it like I was. I didn't understand then what. I do now and what Dr. Kate Hapak was telling to us during this entire interview, I truly appreciate her wisdom when it comes to allowing these differences in emotions because they will inevitably arrive along the journey of life. And before I close out the show with our walk away questions, I just wanted to briefly mention again, like I said at the beginning about my super exciting news. I will be launching a women in medicine group coaching course, medicine, marriage, and money group coaching course. We will be taking our relationships to the next level together. I am so excited. If you guys want to get on the waitlist now, I will provide a link in the show notes for you to do that. You can get on the waitlist. We'll be launching in April. Stick around. <laughs> Listen to the next show if you would like to know exact dates. We're still working things out. But this is going to be amazing. I really want you guys to be a part of this. And I do have limited seats available. I cannot wait to get started in working with you guys and start hammering out those personalized relationship goals and start seeing results. I hope you walk away asking yourself, Am I choosing love every day? How do I value my worth as a physician? How can I accept the differences between my experience and my spouse's experience during the same journey? How do I define the story of my life? And how can I show myself more self-compassion? That is it, my friends. Go, spread your wings, fly away, spread love, joy, and support to this world and so much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.